Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of The Hollywood Podcast, covering the latest in film, TV, streaming, and social media. I'm your host, Max Geshwind. Stay tuned for today's episode. I'm so excited to be joined by Peter San, who just received his first Oscar nomination for animated feature film for directing Pixar's latest film, Elemental. Peter's been with Pixar dating back to Finding Nemo over 20 years ago and has previously directed the Pixar short Partly Cloudy and the feature The Good Dinosaur. Peter, thank you for joining me and congrats on your Oscar nomination. Thank you so much. I really appreciate being here and getting to talk to you about it all. Yeah, so um, I'd love to start at the beginning of um, your involvement on this project, which is so personal to you. Um, Good Dinosaur was about eight years before Elemental came out. So how soon after finishing Good Dino did you begin to work on Elemental? It was about a year afterwards. Um, the, there, it was about, I don't know, six months or of time where it was take, um, doing some press and taking a break. And uh, in the middle of that, my boss had asked me to start coming up with ideas. And um, the Pixar sort of ask in development usually is come up with three different ideas, you know, with worlds and stories and characters in them that um, could be a possible feature, you know. And uh, I started thinking that. But in the uh, during my um, some of the press work I was doing, I... Uh, uh, had a little ask to go to the Bronx where I was born and um, uh, talk about, you know, the arts and being at Pixar. And uh, I invited my parents and there. I was about to make a speech. I got up on stage and I saw them and I got very emotional seeing them in this very diverse crowd and a New York crowd. And uh, it hit me how much work that they had done and how much they sacrificed coming from another country to this one to give my brother and I a life. And uh, I thank them on stage for it. And uh, it was a moment I'll never forget. And I came back to Pixar and pitched that story. And that's what triggered Elemental. Right. And of course, there's sort of like two things, I think, going on in the film that um, you shared one of them, which is this immigrant experience that's um, exemplified by Ember and her story being a first generation to this new land coming, um, emigrating from fire land with um, her parents. But there's also this opposites attract story and cultures class clashing. And I think similarly with that aspect of the story that was shared through your personal experience in, I, I believe, your marriage and marrying outside of your culture. Um, can you talk about how challenging it was from a story point of view of melding these two personal experiences, which I'm sure you see as just um, totally intertwined, but both the um, personal immigrant experience um, that's demonstrated through Ember and her parents' um, story, but also through the um, culture class clashing and um, engaging in a relationship as Ember does with Wade outside of um, your culture. It's a great question. Um, um, it wasn't an easy mix at the start to sort of evolve those two storylines together. Um, I think the the biggest sort of stake in the ground for me that told me that maybe we could was the idea of elements, that it sort of allowed both storylines to sit in that world. Of, obviously, with immigrants, they are uh, one culture sort of merging into another one. And uh, that sort of fit along the lines of, you know, all these different communities uh, based on uh, the classical elements. And then from there, this idea of 
fire and water uh, and and them being opposites uh, could also bring in that um, um, other personal part of my life into it. Um, but as just a little, you know, rope that you would tie from one idea to another, it was pretty thin in the beginning. And uh, everywhere, the, you know, each direction that the story would take you, it would snap and you'd have to retie it in different ways. And so um, the, the, until I got to a theme that I felt like really helped us understand what that chemistry might be amongst the the triangle of this story of the the triangle of relationships between ember her father and ember and wade and uh, um so it, it, it's it, it was a a year years long search to try to blend all of that together I would assume because of your own lived experiences, you probably saw much of the story through the perspective of um, the character of Ember. Um, can you talk a little bit about what you took from uh, your parents' real life experience or perhaps their personality traits as you know these new immigrants to a new land like with Ember's parents? Um, what were sort of your influences of your parents that we see in the film of Ember's own parents? Um, there was this, there's two pieces. My father was a workaholic and uh, he um, didn't know anything else. And uh, there was a sense of pride that came with that, that I really loved putting into burning, where he was just burning bright to work hard, but also for his family. And, uh, um, uh, and, you know, my dad would always tell my brother and I, work hard, play hard. And there was sort of that duality that made Bernie, Bernie. Uh, and uh, for Cinder, uh, she was much more spiritual, um, but also very proud of the culture that she comes from. I know father is, but, the, you know, Cinder sort of holds the torch because she's still a sort of, uh, she, she's a, you know, matchmaker, but she's still kind of also a, the, the 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 i guess the holder or the of the chalice of of fire culture and uh which was very much my mother as well um you know my mother had a hot temper my mother was always trying to get me to get married you know and uh you know and and have grandkids and all of that and so that sort of pressure was there from my mom the, another interesting thing was or things were that mom bernie i mean bernie and cinder are, you know, are made up a lot of different coworkers' stories. There was, you know, um, a friend that had gone through a matchmaking um, experience in India that started to fuel into who the parents were. And then and then the voice actors, um, Ronnie Del Carmen, who plays Bernie, was a longtime story contributor. And uh, he was is not only a mentor for me, a good friend, but also a father figure for me in terms of like something that I could pattern myself as a father. Uh, and uh, a lot of him is in there. And Sheila Omi, who played Cinder, brought a lot of her experience as well. And so it was, it's an amazing thing to come up with a character from nothing and see how everyone injects themselves into it. Um, similarly, can you touch on your real life uh, marriage and um, initial culture clash you had with your wife and, um, how you brought that into the relationship that we see um, between Wade and Ember on screen. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, thanks for asking that. I mean, the, when 
you know, I first brought the idea of marrying or dating someone that wasn't Korean, my family reacted pretty negatively, especially, uh, you know, especially my grandmother who, you know, had told all the, the of my generation, we were only boys. It was my cousins and my brother um, um, that she sort of made this sort of, you know, mantra to always marry Korean, you know, and uh, uh, I fell in love with someone who wasn't, you know, um, Anna, uh, my partner is from Santa Barbara, California. She's half English, half Italian. And uh, um, when I first brought her over to New York to visit my family, I think my mother was much more against it than my father. My father opened up to um, Anna very quickly. And so there is some of that in the film, but uh, I think the idea of what culture clash went from uh, not understanding the language to just assimilation issues for my parents that were really funny to my wife. For example, I cut myself and my uh, in New York, and uh, I was bleeding, and my and um, Anna went to my father to ask for some. Do you have any? Um, uh, newsborn and uh, my dad handed her some eye drops and uh and it was like oh this is not um newsborn he's like ah same thing same it doesn't matter like yeah. my father couldn't read all of the <laughs> packaging and uh, thought it was just say medicine was all the same and uh, there was a lot of instances like that that sort of fueled you know um, um story moments food was a big deal you know anna had and her family never had spicy food in the way that my parents had and so there's a lot of that sort of like hot coals sort of jokes that sort of to meld into the story as well. Yeah. Um, I want to touch on um, your parents' uh, reaction to you making a film that's so personal and, and so uh, about them. I know that they um, had unfortunately passed away while you were in production on the film. Um, but when, when you first started, um, did they have any thoughts about you doing something that um, was so personal to not just you, but their own experience? Interestingly enough, at early on, it wasn't as personal. The film okay. was very more abstract, I would say. You know, it, it wasn't as grounded into a sort of a human world as it, it had become. Um, I think because of their deaths, the film became more personal. I think the only thing I had with my father was that I wanted to ask him of his, of his experiences leaving his mother country for the first time. And, uh, and then what it was like to start a business before he had kids in New York at that time. And um, uh, and then I, I cherish these answers that I got from because he would soon pass right after that. So he never mm -hmm. got to see anything. Um, my mother, who was, who had contracted cancer very soon after my father passed, uh, was, uh, um, bedridden very quickly and um i moved to new york for several months a couple months to help her out uh before she passed and in those few months i got to share some of the imagery with her yeah. and uh she, I, you know she smiled at the imagery she couldn't talk much about it um i was trying to tell her that you know at that time of the production, when she passed, it was later in the film, that there were pieces of her and dad in the film. But mm. I don't know how much she registered, honestly. She was right. under a lot of, you know, chemo. Yeah. Um, I want to know, because um, you, 
when you knew that your family would be the inspiration behind your th- this next project of yours, how soon after did you realize that it would be told through the elements? Um, when, when did you make that connection? It seems like the elements were first and maybe the personal side of it came later on. Um, it was, well, the elements was an idea I had when I was in high school, it, it, but it had nothing to do with immigrants or anything like that. It really right. was this sort of like fire and water story. Um, uh, but I had, it was just, a, you know, an idea that I had a long time ago. It was just sitting there um, in, the, in, my, in my sketchbooks. And then um, when this sort of a personal event happened, they started to merge very quickly, you know, um, and within months before I had a, a pitch to the studio. Um, uh, but the whole personal side of it was pretty non-existent. The idea of being grateful was just a theme. It had nothing to do with parents running a store. It had nothing to do with, you know, a city in that way. It was, it was pretty different. And uh, um, uh, the evolution of it becoming more personal, you know, was just through the months and years of me processing what they meant to me now that they were gone, you know. Um, Elemental embarks on so much uncharted territory that we've seen from Pixar films in the past. Um, I'm interested to know if there were any worlds or characters you created, Element City, um, that were influenced by other animated films. Like, did you ever have a North Star of any past animated films or films for that matter of these worlds that had been created on screen that you sort of look to for guidance? Yeah. I mean, the film took about seven years. And so there was a lot of different influences, you know, within the fire culture itself, I was really trying to find its own unique sort of vibe to it, but the, the actual motion and the sort of the anthropomorphic qualities of ranged from you know, Calcifer from Howl's Moving Castle to like Ghost Rider, uh, Nick Cage movie and the sort of live action fire that that was. And uh, but in terms of, you know, story references, you know, like I w- I'm a huge fan of Norman Jewison's Moonstruck, who recently passed away. I, I mm-hmm. uh, This idea of these two characters that had these holes in their lives and how a city was beginning to support that story and sort of open up. Uh, um, um, who shares character was, you know, was amazing, you know, and the wonderful photography of Gordon Willis from Godfather Two all the way to Woody Allen's Manhattan, you know, there was a way that they were shooting um, locations to make them memorable to support either romance or character growth. And uh, Amelie did a very uh, similar thing to French um, film uh, directed by Junot. Uh There were a lot of for different themes and different moments, there were a lot of references in, in, in movies, you know. Um, but with the character storylines, I'm telling you, so much of it came from our crew. We had interviewed over 200 of our crew members, all who, the email was, if anyone has first or second generation experiences with parents or immigration, we'd love to talk to you. And hundreds of people emailed, and we slowly went through everybody to hear the stories and it really greatly influenced the, the story on top of the movie references. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about the difficulty of water. I know that I mentioned before, I think it was your first uh, Pixar film when you came um, to the studio was finding Nemo, which, yeah. you know, is all water. And I think what's um, particularly um, 
impressive, at least when I would watch it over the years, is whenever the characters go above the water to speak to, you know, humans oh, right. or the birds. or And you see that relationship between the body of water up against the characters. Um, I, I'm just interested to know, since you had worked on Finding Nemo in the past, did that prove at all helpful in coming onto Elemental? Or was this just a whole new beast that, you know, your experience on Finding Nemo really, um, nothing really transferred? No, I think understanding light with water was something that, I didn't have a big part of in the, in Finding Nemo. I was a story artist and uh, I'm a, a sketch artist on that show. Um, but I remember talking to Sharon Callahan, who was the cinematographer of that of that film, and uh, also for Good Dinosaur. And we had a river in there, and so she really taught me a lot about what colors are refracting, what colors are reflecting. You know, and uh, when we were coming up with Wade we would do more realistic water and he was so difficult to manage. Like you couldn't see his features, you know, we, you, there, there, you know, there was, I don't know if you remember the, the James Cameron movie, the abyss, there was sort of that technology where everything was reflective, but it was very difficult to empathize all of a sudden uh, because it was so refractive. But with that little bit of knowledge, we were able to caricature some of those concepts to sort of sell us, oh, I'm sorry, water and a more graphic one was our game. And, uh, but yeah, so the caustics in Wade, I feel like really is where we sort of pushed that caricature that Nemo did when you were going through the e East Australian current, the EAC in the, in the Nemo that Ronnie, I mean, uh, Ralph Eggleston had sort of come up with. Yeah. And, um, you know, this film has been such a giant leap in technological advancement for the studio. I think probably more so than any of the Pixar films um, that came before it. Um, with I know a new department was created and uh, you just mentioned having to deal, confront the issue of water, which has never really um, been dealt with before as it relates to light. Um, can you share what you and your team, um, how the ground you broke on Elemental will have a lasting effect now on Pixar films moving forward, what you were able to make possible now for um, filmmakers to come that create Pixar films for the studio? Uh, yes, um, a really interesting question. Max, I, I think right off the bat, there were two things that I feel like I can highlight. One of them being management of the controls, like both Ember and Wade had a lot of what we call AVARs or controls to push and pull um, the, the sort of the character around in terms of an eye blink. And uh, that management, I think, in the future characters that are just as complicated really helped. That's one thing. But then the bigger thing has been um, the machine learning with Ember's fire or the fire character's um, flames. Um, there was this sort of early research done on a type of AI that would be able to take realistic fire. And then if you fed and taught the, the computer a certain graphic shape, it can begin to carve the realistic fire to become more graphic. And it's something that uh, the, um, our team has uh, dubbed uh, NST, Neural Style Transfer. And that is technology that's now being used in a couple other movies. Now, exactly how that's being used, I'm not 100% sure yet. I haven't seen all of it. But I know um, um, one of the talented technical artists that had come up with that is pushing for ways to uh, um, continue to, you know, 
advance our looks in the films. And uh, um, so I've been excited about that to hear that that technology is moving forward, you know, um, in, in a big way. Yeah. Um, I just have a couple more questions for you. Um, I, wa- I have to talk about having Thomas Newman come on board, 15-time yeah. Oscar-nominated composer. He's such a legend. And he's done, you know, Pixar films in the past with Finding Nemo and Wally. Um, how did you think of Thomas? And um, what did you communicate to him in those initial conversations to have him capture what you wanted the music to sound like? Um, I had heard of, I mean, Thomas Newman way before my time at Pixar, I was just always been a huge fan. Um, and then he uh, um, um, worked with Andrew Stanton on both of, uh, all three of his films. Uh, so when I approached him, I it was, I guess I could say that I was a fan first before the artist came. Like I really wanted to just talk to him about the different types of uh, films that he recently had done. And then, but more than anything, I talked to him about um, our film and several themes that I was concerned about and wanted his help. Um, uh, One of them was the cultural uh, uh, uniqueness that I was hoping to get. I didn't want to appropriate another culture, but in that there is, you know, like if you, you can't just, you know, there were experiments that we were doing ourselves that went into an when you sort of strip out uh, instruments, and most instruments are tied to specific cultures. And so uh, the our, our solution became to mix a lot of it together. But that was one of the first concepts that I was talking to Thomas about, about what would the sound be for fire, for fire culture, and then the the, the city and its denizens. So that was mm-hmm. one way. Then the the this notion of vulnerability and um, empathy that would start to change and grow our main character. And uh, the, the, you know, the idea that what a safe place and what trust would be became sort of a cornerstone for me in terms of trying to find a language with Thomas as we would work together. But after the that, and then the film spoke to him, you know, we showed him the reels and that, you know, uh, he talked a lot about moments that he really cared for and, uh, he really talked about it as if he was a performer. He is a consummate artist, consummate artist. Uh, uh, Every sequence became a conversation about behavior and uh, um, um, emotion. And uh, he he was tremendous to work with, Max. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about the success that we saw with the film when it was released, because I think over the last few years, we definitely saw Pixar impacted by the pandemic, but what was so beautiful to see with Elemental is that it really had this staying power over the summer at the box office, and it really became, I think, the first big commercial success for the studio since um, since the pandemic. Can you share, as someone who isn't always isn't just you know on the studio's creative team, but also the film's director, what that performance meant to the studio, and then also to you on a personal level? Yeah, um, there was a tremendous heartache when it first came out. Um, uh, You know, in its underperformance, uh, I was, you know, fretting about, like, the romance angle of this, of this film and its heart, and then this immigration issue of it. Like, was that just too far for audiences to connect to? Were they just not interested in any of it? Was, 
you know, um, um, but, you know, a, a, a few weeks right after it had the staying power and then it began to grow in other countries that uh, began to um, um, really turn it around. And uh, at first I was very skeptical of it. I had been so sort of heartburned by it that I was like, well, it's just a flux, but it kept going. And uh, yeah. it filled, I, I was getting emails from other coworkers and friends that were just saying, are you seeing what's going on? And uh, um, uh, you could feel the pride also growing with the studio and, and members of like, everyone's sort of cheering it on. And like, you know, it was, it was almost like one of those sports films where, you know, the, you know, as, as impossible as it may be to think that Pixar felt like an underdog, but it did for me and that it started growing and growing and then, you know, got up to this sort of um, peak of uh, where, uh, you know, we, we, we crossed the, the line, was starting to make a profit, and uh, and then it started growing. Like in Korea, it did so well where my parents are from and, and you know, where my, my heritage is. And yeah. uh, it got very emotional, Max. I was very, very um, elated. And it wasn't just the concept of what a box office is. Again, I'm very pr- I'm happy about that, but what word of mouth really meant. It, it, it didn't just mean like, oh, it's good, wait for streaming. It was, oh, it's, it's, you know, it's a great movie, go to the theater to see it. And that meant the world to me because we had made it for the theater. And, you know, you know Pixar hadn't done, there weren't any really romance movies like this <laughs> around. And, 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 and it was an original film. And uh, the, the idea of it growing in this way um, and uh, making a connection to the audience uh, got me to like this place where I started thinking about my parents and started yeah. thinking about like, Oh my God, they're, they're, they're looking down and, and, and helping us somehow. I, I don't know why I got so spiritual about it, but for somehow I felt a connection to them as the film was connecting, you know, it, it was, you know, it's, it got very emotional over it. No, yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, the, as you mentioned, the sentiment of it needing to be seen in the theaters, I think just resonated with audiences. And we saw it because it just stayed in the top 10 um, for months, you know, during the summer um, and to where it then eventually, as you said, turned a profit. And um, hopefully it's um, makes things promising now as we uh, get ready for another original of yours with Elio next year. And um, uh, well, first we have Inside Out 2 this summer, which already has its built-in fan base. But um, congratulations again on the film and uh, of its success. And it's so hard to believe that it's your first Oscar nomination. And that must be so exciting. Thank you so much. Yeah, the recognition is beyond... I'm I'm just beyond grateful for all this. From where we started, Max, I was not expecting any of this. And uh, um, now that we're here, I'm just very grateful for the crew and for the people in our lives that have, you know, yeah. supported us. And thank you very much, Max. I really appreciate the kind words and the thoughtful questions. Really, really, thank you. Yeah, of course. Congratulations again, and have a great rest of your day. Thank you. You too, Max. Thank you. Take care. Thanks so much for tuning in. Please take a moment to subscribe to The Hollywood Podcast for free on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Until next time, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Max Geshwind. Thanks for listening.